Hello, my fans, friends. Welcome to the Rich Terring podcast feed, powered by ACAS Plus. Thanks to everyone who's come to see the Can I Have My Ball Back tour so far. It's been going really well. I've got a four-star review in The Standard, four-star review in The Telegraph, who once called me the worst comedy experience of the year, so that's a turnaround. Uh, people have been coming, people have really been enjoying it, and it's getting better and better. The only gigs this week are both in Pocklington, the town I was born in, near York. Uh, there's a couple of tickets left for the evening show and a few more tickets left for the matinee, I think about 4.30. But love to see you there, Yorkshire. Pop along, check richardherring.com slash ballback slash tour or richardherring.com slash gigs to see if I'm coming near to you. There are tickets left for nearly every show in the tour. I think Norwich has sold out. Uh, and a couple of gigs in London could do with your support as well. Anyway, please listen to the podcast. Do spread the news about the podcast to your friends. Listen as much as you can. Numbers are slightly down, which may affect the future of this podcast. So just leave it playing, even if you're not in the room. Love you. <laughs> now sit back, relax, and enjoy whatever it is you're going to listen to. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey, welcome to another Rahalastaba Book Club. It's the last in the second series, and we'll be back uh, in the new year. Uh, and I'm delighted to be joined by Maya Rose Craig, who has written a fantastic book called Bird Girl. Hello, Maya Rose. How are you Hello, doing? Hello, hi, I'm very good. Good. Uh, look, um, I, I should say right at the top, I, uh, I've, I've met you before, <laughs> but about... Uh, 15 or 16 or 17 years ago when you were a, a tiny child. I know you're, I was at school with your dad, Chris. Yes, um, I think you're revealing your age a bit there, but yeah. <laughs> well, I am very old. Uh, and uh, yeah, so just, uh, it's the Kings of Wessex old boy network has finally <laughs> pulled off something good. But I have to say, um, this, this the book you've written, uh, Bird Girl, is uh, fantastic and you're doing incredibly well. We're very honoured to have you. Uh, I, I wish I could tell you some stuff about your dad, but I can't remember anything too <laughs> scurrilous. It's so, it's so long ago. Uh, what I what I didn't know was that he was a, he seemed quite cool at school. Uh, you clearly didn't uh, hear about he, the he birds came, then. I did, he did not mention uh, the bird watching, which is uh, which is what this book is all about. So look, Myra, Maya, you're the you're the youngest guest uh, we've ever had on the book club, and possibly on Rahalastar at all. Uh, and uh, you're just twenty years old now, and you've written 
an incredible book and it's sort of it's incredible to think that a 20 year old would have experienced so much <laughs> of life already but you've traveled the world and done a, a, a lot of interesting stuff do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself uh, to start with yeah sure um so I wrote this book bird girl a couple of years ago actually which is it feels like a very long time ago now during lockdown um sort of the big p word and um I, I guess the basic fact that you need to know about me is that I'm very into birds and I'm very into bird watching. It's sort of <laughs> the nerdiest thing about me. And I also, I feel like the bird watching stereotype, it's, it's not me. It's always sort of a middle-aged white bloke. And so I've sort of, I yep. spent my whole life with people going, but like, why, why bird watching? Like of all hobbies, <laughs> why bird watching? And so like, originally I wanted to write Bird Girl just so someone could read it and be like, oh, yeah okay I kind of get it and then it all just sort of spiraled out from there until it became the sort of big hulking hardback of a book yeah I mean it's sort of more I mean obviously it's a lot of it is about bird watching and birds and your various travels around the world to uh to to see birds but it is about quite Mm. a lot more than that as well I mean it's very interesting I mean the the family does feature a lot your mum and uh, Mm. dad and and sister a little bit as well uh, and you're you're very open about your the family issues, I guess, and your your mum suffers from uh, depression and um, uh, I mean, sort mm. of men, I think mental mm. illness is is the correct description. And uh, and your how was that writing? I mean, again, it's uh, uh, I don't want to be patronising because this book is fantastic, but at such a young age to deal with. Um, I, I said I won't be patronising, and now I am being patronising. Sorry, uh, but to deal with you know to deal with that, and it's it's close to you, it's your family. To be able to just write about your your family issues so openly mm. is quite a big deal. Right? Oh God! I mean, the minute where I was like, I was planning this big book out, and I suddenly had this realization that this was all going to get a bit more personal than I'd maybe originally been imagining. It was like, (laughs) oh my God. And then I like, I went to go talk to my parents about it because I did, I did ask them, is it all right if I write this? And like, weirdly, my my mum especially was like, she was more on board with it at that point than I was. She was like, yeah, this is such a good idea. It's going to be so nice to get the story out there. And so that was, that was all really nice. Um, And to be honest, it was in some ways sort of very, cathartic writing it it was like getting it all out there it's like actually this feels really good a lot of things especially like there's a lot of stuff I talk about from when I was quite young to just my mum getting sectioned that I had never really understood at the time so like by the end of it I felt great it's sort of it's very weird writing a book because you kind of forget that other people are going to read it until suddenly it gets published and it's out in the world and it's like (laughs) oh people people are reading this Uh, but I remember like right as I was finishing writing it I saw you know you sort of see these bits of writing advice floating around online and one that sort of randomly popped up on um, my feed was one going like oh if you ever feel like you need to write a book for sort of cathartic reasons you should probably just go to therapy instead (laughs) (laughs) well you know I've I've always used my writing and my comedy and I've just written a book about having cancer last year so I absolutely (laughs) I absolutely understand uh, the catharsis of it and the fact I know I think it is therapeutic and I think what's interesting about this book is you know the you I don't think you'd have to be interested in birds to I'm not that interested in birds, mm. I have to say, Maya. Uh, and I don't think it matters because your enthusiasm... I love any, anything where uh, someone is 
unashamedly enthusiastic. I think there's weirdly there's a little bit of shame uh, in as yeah. a teenager, you know, as a teenager being worried about what your friends will think. I think you know inappropriate shame because it turns out your friends uh, did not care. Are quite supportive. <laughs> they don't care. They're quite supportive. They only care about themselves. They're teenagers. Exactly. Yeah. But uh, but yeah, I think anyway, you know, you're a very motivated person, and you've achieved some incredible things already in your life. So it, uh, which we'll, we'll get on to, but. You, you've been bird watching basically since you were something like seven days mm. old. I don't, I don't know how much, how many birds you managed to see <laughs> in that first week and, and acknowledge, but you, you, your, your dad especially was, was hugely into mm. this community. So tell us a little bit about how it all started and, and, and what that community is. Yeah, see, this is why I'm genuinely surprised that you never knew sort of about my dad's bird watching because he is sort of, <laughs> um sort of on paper just an obsessive um and he always right. has been and for him like literally you'll talk to my gran and she'll be like oh he was four years old and identifying the birds in the garden like he's always been obsessed um and it, when he met my mum she was the opposite she was like a city girl had maybe seen some pigeons and sparrows in her time and she was like you know what you can have this strange obsessive hobby when I'm not around but I want nothing to do with this and he sort of he sort of managed to wear her down quite fast for about six months and suddenly I talk about this in the book but she had this moment where she was like wow I think I might also really enjoy bird watching and then he did the same to my sister so by the time I was yeah. born like again my grand jokes that if I hadn't enjoyed birding I probably would have been booted out of the family because I don't know what they would have done <laughs> um thankfully I I did love birds and I did love birding and you're, you're right I was I think nine days old the first time they took me to go see a bird and I've just been doing it since basically and I I yeah which was, I think, quite a weird childhood because the birding community, like I mentioned earlier, is mainly middle-aged blokes. And then it was just sort of me in the middle of it all. And it was it was great fun because <laughs> I felt a bit like a main character because they all recognised the sort of singular little kid wandering around at these um, bird-watching sites. They'd be like, oh, here come the Craigs. And it's like, <laughs> I don't know, felt a bit notorious. Yeah, and as you know, people might be surprised at how seriously uh, birders take this mm. hobby. You know, you might think, oh, it's you go out on your own and you you, mm. you might go to the woods and see what you <laughs> can see. But there's there's basically, and especially with the internet now, there's this whole community of uh, of like spreading messages, and mm. you'll get a ping on your phone and say, there's a, a you know, or whatever, a, a big tit in <laughs> uh, a forest in Cumbria, and you'll all drive up there so you know your dad would wake you up or you'd just be about mm. to get to bed and you'd jump in the car to drive overnight to uh to to see a bird as would other people so it's 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 a quite a full-on oh it's absolutely uh, bonkers hobby. community like yeah. i feel like a lot of hobbies do sort of degenerate into that ever all sorts of things about the knitting community for example but like um <laughs> like birders are a little bit insane which is half the fun to be fair um because you yeah. know it is really nice to sort of go on a walk and enjoy sort of the blue tits and the dunnocks and the crows but it's a whole different story to sort of suddenly urgently get a message at like um you know two o'clock in the morning being like we need to go now and drive halfway across the country and turn up and there are like thousands of people already there and it's just sort of I know as a kid especially I just thought it was great fun and sort of 
as I as I've become an adult, I've sort of realized just how seriously people take this. Like there are people who taking days off work who are like chartering planes and helicopters to get to like Scottish off islands. Like it's it's very serious. <laughs> Yeah, I, I mean, it, but it's it, it's also because it's I, I'm I'm sort of fascinated by by obsession, mm. and you know most most people's interests are obsessed. You know, even if you're if you're interested in pop music, you sort of get obsessed mm. with it, and that's you know viewed as being cool. Whereas <laughs> train spotting or bird watching might be seen as being things that certain kind of a certain kind of demographic would go for that that aren't necessarily cool. But it, it you know there's what how many we we talking about ten thousand different species of birds in the in the world is that is that roughly that, that is yeah yeah and so you're really aiming to see in a lifetime which you know having started so soon you may have a better chance than some of the older members of the community you you sort of want to be you want to see everything right mm. and it's basically impossible has anyone ever seen all of them no i'll not lie i no. think anyone who's gotten that close has <laughs> died of old age um <laughs> but i mean I think the thing is like I, I think again when i was younger i really loved all like the numbers the counting side of things because like okay i feel like i'll admit straight up like i am a very obsessive person i've sort of implied that but i am um and sort of I loved the lists and the numbers and I had all these goals. And for a long time, it was like, I want to see half the bird species in the world before I turned 18. And like, that was my big thing for years. And then I managed it and it was incredible. It was like, again, absolutely insane. And then I was just kind of stood there and I was like, what next? <laughs> like all of them? Because <laughs> um, the, also this is, again, when you're getting into the very nerdy stuff in the book, but there's... The, the number of birds in the world changes quite a lot, which sounds like quite yeah. a weird statement to someone who isn't a birder. But there's basically a big organisation who's constantly adding or deleting species, um, sort of deciding yeah. that they're actually like the same bird and things like that. So the number's all over the place as well. So I feel like even if you started to get close to the end goal, they'd just keep on adding new ones. <laughs> And, and 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 ones that are presumed extinct. There's a couple of cases where mm. where suddenly a commu- you know a community or a a couple of the the birds are discovered, and so you know you have seen something. You know you do talk about having seen some of those very rare mm. birds that that were, were thought to have died out, which is interesting. Um, and you know it goes it sort of goes beyond this the, this country, you know, and you you, you turn into this incredibly well traveled family and again as certainly as a a, a pre-teen and a teenager traveling the world more than most people would travel Mm. in a in a full lifetime so so it's it's interesting your parents uh took you out of school for some of this so you were sort of not homeschooled because you weren't at home but you were schooled uh whilst going around the world looking for looking for birds yeah that was that was a very cool experience i'm not like like i think like (laughs) looking back on all the stuff in childhood it's sort of also when I say homeschooled I think people sort of imagine a period of many years it was about six months and half of that was the summer holidays yeah. which I was very disappointed about I wanted a bit more time <laughs> off school but it was it was just amazing but I think the the weird thing is I kind of wasn't very well traveled in in this way that I was later until after yeah. Um, my mum actually became quite unwell and she started like sort of having depressed depressive episodes especially and there was sort of this this period when I was about eight um, when she was actually quite unwell and my parents had already booked this sort of 
very expensive, very extensive trip to Ecuador. And it was sort of this thing where they were going like, oh, we really probably shouldn't do this. But also at the same time, we kind of really <laughs> want to. And they ended up, we ended up going on this three week trip of like very intense bird watching to Ecuador. And it was amazing. And my mum, especially, like, it was, it was amazing for her. And she had such a good time. And she was just so clearly observably better by the end of this period and that's the moment where sort of the light bulb went off my parents where it's like actually bird watching is is really good for her and it really helps but also like as a family like it it really helps us and that's sort of when it became a thing and we were like okay we're we're gonna that's what we're gonna do with our time and our money we're gonna go traveling the world and try and see as many birds as possible yeah, I mean, it's I mean, there's a lot of adventures, and yeah, you, it is interesting. The, the family bonding and the dynamics of the family are incredibly interesting in this in this book. And I know, and I like the fact it's not it's not like and we went birding and everything was fine. No. You know, it's, we went birding and lots of things got fucked up as a result. But it but definitely the kind of move is a is a positive one for your mum. Uh, and you know, you're it, you know, it's quite unusual, I suppose, for a child to spend that much time with their their parents as mm. well you know there's a point where your dad says you know are you are you wanting to come with us <laughs> now you're now you're 16 are you still wanting to come with us whereas many teenagers would be sort of desperate to get away from their family but you know it, it has uh bonded you as a a family in in, in quite an incredible mm. way yeah absolutely and I think like even though you know it was spending a lot of time with my parents which you know trials and tribulations of that we talk we talk a bit about that in the book um but it's like i think because there was just so much stuff going on at home where like a lot of the time especially again with my mum it just felt like she wasn't really there it sort of felt like that was trying very purposefully to sort of flip that around like this very long six month trip we went on um was right after she'd been sectioned and it was like it, it just felt incredibly good for us at the time but I I do think like no I can't remember what I think let's I'll move on separately <laughs> from that one okay that's okay that's okay and I think you know but by broadening your mind and traveling as well for you as a uh, as a young person uh, you know, I think they're very affecting bits of where you where you see things in the world that that start to make you question the way the world operates mm. as well. So, like, I, and I had a very similar experience when I was a little older. I went to Australia, and we and, uh, and me and another comic uh, drove to Uluru in the right in the centre mm. of Australia, having spent lots of time in the cities in Australia. And you see the actual Aboriginal mm. people in the in the kind of shacks and and being and and being kind of kept out of bars and the kind of rate. I mean, this was in the 1990s. So I was kind of hoping that things might have changed, but you obviously visited Australia, Mm. you know, in the last decade or so, and uh, it's still, still the same. And you're very moved by that experience. So it it sort of helped your, you know, you become very big in activism of all kinds, but. um, Yeah. Yeah. I I think because like, I I was very young actually when I got involved in like campaigning and stuff like that and I do genuinely think that was just because of the fact that I was really lucky and was able to travel and able to see all of these but I think also like just having this genuine love of nature and the environment and things like that meant that from like a very young age sort of just I don't know I was very aware of like climate change and deforestation and things like that and so then 
seeing those in real life was just a massive cincher and I just like remember when I was about 11 basically I through a a series of strange events that wasn't really on purpose ended up with this sort of online platform this blog and the big plot twist was that people were reading it which was very strange um (laughs) and I just remember there was this this one event there was this oil spill in um, Bangladesh which I'd heard about because I have family from there and I and it was in these really important mangroves you get like tigers there and things like that and I just remember as a kid going like oh my god this is terrible I can't wait for like the western media like the US and the BBC to start talking about this and then they didn't and I was just sat there and it was like why does no one care about this and then I just suddenly again I was like wait I also have a place where I write about things and people kind of read it. So I will write about it on there. And that just kind of exploded and loads of people read it. Loads of people were interested. I ended up raising a bunch of money in the US. And I think for like an 11 year old, like it was such a strange (laughs) experience to be like, actually, like the world kind of sucks and there are loads of terrible things going on, but I can make a difference and I can help. And I feel like that was... um, such a big moment for me and that's sort of some of the one of the main reasons I ended up doing various bits of campaigning as a teenager was just because that moment where it was like wait I can I can make a difference (laughs) I mean it is quite extraordinary but I think also it shows people's older people's prejudice towards younger Mm. people where they will have an idea of what young people will be interested in, which won't be bird watching, and they'll have an idea that young people don't care or mm. you know aren't interested in anything else. But for, but you know there is this, um, gr- yeah, the, the, there is this massive uh, up you know uprising really of young people who are aware that the planet is you know mm. in trouble and that they will be the ones who have to cope with the aftermath of it and so you know there is I know you've met uh, Greta Thunberg mm. and uh, you I mean you've worked in uh, lots of different areas as uh, as well but it sort of is it's interesting that it's young people who are you know I, I look at my Twitter and I've got a lot of friends in their 50s <laughs> and some of them are sort of denying that there's there's anything changing mm. in in the, in the in the environment despite looking out the window in november and wondering why the trees haven't yet <laughs> yeah. shed their leaves uh but uh, you know it is it's very admirable and you must be unusual in the in this in this level of of motivation or are there or do you feel there's a lot of there's a lot of people like you i i now? think cuz it was like 2013 when I started doing campaigning and stuff. And I think so much has changed in a really nice, like in a really positive way since then. Yeah. In that like when I first started, it was really like novel and exciting that you had a kid and people were like, wow, like <laughs> come, come and look at this kid who's interested in things going on in the world. Um, and, you know, and though I only knew like a, a very small handful of other people roughly in my age who are interested in that. Versus I I have like such a distinct memory of sort of Greta Thunberg emerging, youth strikes for climate emerging, this sort of explosion of young people talking about um, like climate change and stuff like that. And it suddenly went from, you know, it it felt like people my age didn't really care about these issues to it being like the issue of a generation. Because like, like you mentioned, I talk a lot in the book about sort of I guess what I'd refer to as sort of the mortifying ordeal of being known, like sort of the narcissism of being like 13 and feeling like 
um you know everyone cares about what you're up to in your spare time and part of the sort of embarrassment of, of it all was being like a, a teenager who cared about environmental issues because again it felt really nerdy it felt really niche and then suddenly I was like 16 17 and it was all everyone was talking about and I was like whoa <laughs> like this is amazing <laughs> um and it, it was just such yeah. an exciting moment for me as well as like I feel like it, it it made a big difference in the way that we do talk and think about climate change sort of just the the fact that young people suddenly cared about it yeah, I think what's lovely about the book is that, you know, you do get the your insecurities, which I think are kind of universal amongst, you know, and adults as well. But all of us went through those teenage years where you're worried about what people will think about you and you're very open and honest about about that. And, you know, this almost this dual world you live in where you're you're out uh, doing these big campaigns, but at school trying to pretend <laughs> that, you're, that nothing's happening and you're sort of embarrassed if anyone <laughs> recognises you because you've done a lot of media. Um, and you, you know, there's there's so many things that, that, you, that you've done, Maya, that are incredible. You're the youngest Briton to receive an honorary doctorate, which is incredible. You're currently studying at Cambridge University, I, I should say, as well. So those 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 six months out being homeschooled didn't do you any harm in terms of your uh, your career. Uh, and uh, yeah, you've you've done TED talks. Um, you're obviously also very interested in. I, I, there's some great great stuff about uh, trying to uh, open up nature and the world mm. to people from different backgrounds and different ethnic back- backgrounds you your uh your mum's from bangladesh mm. or your family from bangladesh on, on uh, your mum's side uh so you're kind of aware of this so you, you've there's a organization you started called black to nature yeah which again not you know it's it's so uh, there's so much stuff you've done tell us a bit about black to nature <laughs> and what what uh, what that uh, does um yeah i think like Black to Nature is another weird one where it didn't really start out on purpose in that, like, <laughs> the original form of what now became Black to Nature was me being, like, 13. I had just found out that in America they have camps, summer camps for, like, every hobby under the sun, including nature. And I was like, there's nothing like that in the UK. I want to be able to spend, like, a few days hanging out with kids with the same hobbies as me like that was that was literally it and I was like I organized an, a weekend nature camp and I actually did very well um like loads and loads of people signed up and I noticed that everyone who had signed up apart from me was like a white teenage boy and like I'd always known that there was no one who really looked like me or my sister or my mum like out and about in nature or the outdoors um but I feel like for some reason it being my thing like my event that sort of was perpetuating the same problem I was like right um you know that's that's not acceptable and it sort of I did a bit of a 180 and I was like instead I'm gonna go and get kids from Bristol like from black and Asian background and I'm gonna bring them out on this camp and I'm gonna force them to (laughs) like enjoy nature and I I kind of didn't know what I was doing like there's a bit I talk about in the book where I accidentally overhear a conversation where like one of the lads is talking to his mates and he's like oh did your mum make you come and he's like yeah me too and he's and I was like I don't what have I done they don't want to be here um but it went really really well and these kids had a really good time and I I was just a bit like 
if these kids enjoy being here, if they enjoy nature and like considering it's so good for like your mental and physical health and stuff, like why aren't kids getting out? And uh, to to boil a very long story down, I realized that it was a much, much bigger issue than I'd realized. I started trying to work with various organizations in the sector, but they're all really old and really slow. And eventually I was like, right, this is going to become a bit more of a long-term project than I was anticipating. And when I was about 14, so in 2016, I set up Black to Nature. And that was sort of my acknowledgement that this was something that I was going to be talking about for a long time and, and I'm I'm still talking about it so but, but it's great I mean you know and also wow that you know so many people you know so many people would just think I can't do anything you know it's interesting at, at the time recording uh, uh I've just talked spoke, spoken to Joe Lysett and he's doing oh. this thing trying to uh trying to get David yeah, Beckham not to represent that. Qatar and uh you know but people just go there's no point in doing anything because it won't change anything even if he stops it the Qatar won't change but the way you change things is to is to speak mm. up and and let people know what's going on and and make a fuss and that's obviously what's really happening with all the climate protests now which obviously some people don't like mm. and some people uh, understand uh, but you, you know you don't get anywhere without without making a fuss and you don't get anywhere unless you actually go there and mm. do it yourself but it is pretty uh, impressive to be <laughs> a, a teenager and uh, you know, I know you you have the support of your parents, but but equally you have to support your parents as well as they struggle yeah. with their own, their own issues. So it's you know it's um, yeah no it's it's absolutely incredible. Hold up, what was that? Boring, no flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Uh, you say it's good for your health and your mental health uh, though uh, on one of your trips you did have uh, 
a, a slight not health issue exactly but uh yeah, I would like you to talk a little bit about what happened <laughs> to your head oh and what. Uh, what... <laughs> see, Tell see, us a little bit is, about this that. This is one of my favourite stories from the book, and anyone I've told it to goes slightly green. Um, but, but basically, um, so you you mentioned before that sort of these trips don't always go smoothly, which like we had no clue what we we're doing, especially when I was younger. And there's this one time when I was about eight, we went to Ghana for um like during my February half term and we were looking for this really rare bird that you had to sort of sit very quietly and wait very quietly and not really move and because I was a kid I was really bored so I started like poking around in the dirt and the mud and my mum was like Maya don't do that you'll like pick something up and I was like then I started sort of doing it more aggressively because it was like don't tell me not to mess around in the mud and about a day later there was a very itchy lump on the back of my head and my parents thought it was a mosquito bite that had got a bit affected so they pulled the hair out the middle and then the hole from that hair just got bigger and bigger and bigger <laughs> and it was so painful um and they just didn't know what to do and they're a bit like we're, we're here now we're bird watching so we'll deal with it when we get back to the UK which wasn't for another good few days later um <laughs> but it was like yeah fine whatever and they did try and peer in a few times like peer in because this hole had gotten quite big um and they just decided it must have gotten a bit infected by the time we got back to the UK I was literally sobbing from the pain of this just whole lump thing in the back of my head so we went straight to the GP they were concerned enough that we managed to like skip the line which isn't you know NHS um and the doctor when he pulled out his sort of um magnifying glass thing and peered at the back of my head he made a noise he was so excited about whatever was going on <laughs> and um my dad who was sort of peering over as well I get like he turned genuinely green like a color that I didn't know like human beings turned outside of cartoons like he went green and I was like what is going on back there and the doctor again delighted was like he was so pleased to inform me that I had a ginormous maggot that I had picked up living in the back of my head um and wow. I actually wasn't that fussed but he he did sort of go <laughs> like it's only a day or two away from turning into a fly and just leaving by itself do you want to just leave it in there for another couple of days <laughs> and I was like I, I think I'm all right and then sort of ensued it it wouldn't come out my head it was like really firmly like it didn't want to leave and so it took about an hour of back and forth with this doctor and this maggot to eventually pull it out and then he sort of put it in this little jar and he was sort of showing us and my dad was like please put that away and then he he even ended up sort of running next door to grab one of the nurses to be like come and look at this and she turned up and she she also turned a bit green because it was it was like size of my thumb ginormous like, I right. don't know how oh, there was space for that in my head um <laughs> like and to this day I wasn't that fast I I'm mainly just really sad that my dad didn't grab me a didn't grab me a picture of it um but I think <laughs> to this day like he he gets slightly queasy whenever I bring that up but it's it's one of my favorite stories my hair still sort of doesn't quite sit right on the back of my head from where it was sort of 10 12 years ago yeah I mean, your parents may be sent to prison after after this book, <laughs> if, if the authorities read it. I also liked him taking you in. They, they, you kind of went, you went into 
South Sudan on one of your trips and cut across the border illegally. Well, <laughs> there was no, there was no, there was no one there to stop you, but your tour guides were very terrified. But yeah, that was probably uh, only like a couple years after they got independence. I, there's lots of things looking back that it's like, God, you're irresponsible. <laughs> <laughs> like, but it's good fun. So. Well, I think, you know, it's good to take risks and it's good to, you know, as long as you survive it all, it's good to, you know, the the the, the breadth of stuff you've seen, admittedly, a lot of it is birds. <laughs> uh, but, uh, but you know, and, and the experiences you've had, I think, make you. And, you know, it is it's very hard as a parent to to take let your kids take risks. So I kind of admire your parents for <laughs> for. For, for doing this because i we'd be terrible if we were taking our kids around the uh, jungles we'd be uh we, we know we're bad enough in the in safe place so um uh but let's let's just uh talk about i mean how uh, from a from a perspective of other writers out there it's incredibly difficult to get published and i have to say the book is is beautiful i've been listening to the audio book i also have the um the hardback uh it's it's beautiful the illustrations in it, there's a few illustrations in it they're very beautiful and the front cover is this uh, beautiful illustration uh so it's a it's a very lovely item to have but as a as a well as a you're 18 as you were writing this book how, how do you get to the point where uh did a publisher approach you because of your blogs and, and your high profile or did you did you have the idea for this book and pitch it um it's, it's sort of somewhere in between in that like um when I was a kid I actually really really loved writing and I always knew I wanted to write a book and I think one of the chapter titles the uninvited guest which which does refer to the maggot that was in my head um I think I came <laughs> up with that sort of directly after the incident and that sort of carried through right into the book so there are there are sort of various things that had sort of been brewing for a very long time where I knew I wanted to write something um, and something about birds, obviously. And um, yeah. it sort of, it was only during, because I'd taken a gap year before uni. It was sort of the classic thing. I wanted to go interrailing around Europe and all that. And then COVID. <laughs> and it was like, right, what am I, I'm locked in a house with my parents. What am I going to do for a year? <laughs> and um, it was sort of at the same time, um, my agent like was came to me and she was like, do you have any ideas for a book? And I was like, actually, I'd love to write a book about birds. Do you think that anyone would read a book about birds if I write it? Because I know that most people think that that's like very dull. And um, even though I'm not, I'm trying to write a book that's not for bird watchers. It's sort of the opposite. It's for people who don't bird watch. And she was like, I think yeah. we can do something with this. And like in the end, <laughs> we went to the publishers, and the they, I was just basically incredibly lucky in terms of the publishing process. Um, and it was all just really lovely. And um, I, I think the only thing is I, I'd i never written a book before and I'm still quite impressed to this day that I managed to sort of bash this out in a year. But I do genuinely, I, I thought after it was published, I'd sort of be like, oh God, I wish that I could like change this and this. I, I still really love it, um, which I feel like is quite a good yeah, sign. That's, that's no, that's it's normal to look back. I mean, I think you, you do your own audio book as well. And that's the point. Mm. That's, uh, I mean, I say this in, in all of these, but I, I've realised do the audio book first because you spot all oh your, your mistakes. Are, so do, do it early. When I was doing the audio book, <laughs> there were a few things that I was like, are you sure I can't just say it differently? Like on in the recording, they're like, no, it has to be verbatim. And it's like, but this is so like, I could do this so much better. Anyway, it's, it's all fine. But I think next 
If you do if it, I did you, it again. next time. If, if I did it again. Not that this is going to be like a bird girl part two. I think that this is sort of <laughs> a final. Because I think that's the other thing, actually. There are so many people who have been like, but why do you feel the need to write a, um, you know, biography when you're like 20 years old? But it's like, it's not, it, it's, it's not. And I think like, well, I guess technically it is, but calling it a biography feels very strange to me because it's not like I was like, wow, I have such a story to tell. I've lived, you know, such a life. It was more just like um, there were like certain things I wanted to talk about. and But like it, it's it's done now. Like it's not like in 18 more years I'm going to be like, right, um, time to write a second book sort of detailing the second half of sort of the birds of my lifetime. But... Well, we will we'll see. I mean, you know, I think you have for a, for a twenty year old, you have lived a, a very impressive life. So I don't think it's uh, I don't think it's out of the question that you should write an autobiography. <laughs> but it is, you know, it is it's unusual for a teenager to get a book deal. Mm. It does happen. It's happened to people like um, I think Caitlin Moran was writing books early. Mm. There's a couple. There's a couple of people who who got very early book deals, and sometimes it works out, and sometimes it, it doesn't work out. But uh, or you know, or it's the only thing that they. They do, but it just feels to me, you know, you're so you're so driven, um, and that and and so, and I'm not going to say sure of yourself because you're not because you're full of insecurities <laughs> and you're, you're you know you're full of the usual things that people are, but it's actually the motivation to get out there and and do it because it is, you know, I'm a writer, mm. that's my job, and writing a book is the hardest mm. thing about being a writer. It's <laughs> the hardest thing to do as a writer, uh, and so to to manage to do that. Um, Again, I'd say so early in your career, but as you say, you've been writing a blog for for nine years, so it's 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 not that early in your career, but it's it is it's incredibly impressive and very impressive to to be published. You know, published by it's not a self published book. This is a this is a, a, a book published by a, a publisher. So it's um you know you should be very proud of yourself. Thank you. uh, and it's and it's and and you know and you have been. It's not it, it's you know you might you might get a book from someone and think oh yeah they haven't really. You know, often with showbiz personalities, they may be a big pop star and they haven't really done it. <laughs> in so you get a lot of stuff, and, and some older people as well, you get a lot of stuff in their biographies, their autobiographies that uh, are not worth <laughs> listening to. But this, this is this is all very interesting because it's, you know, it is it is that that combination of something very small and um you know, and about family and then the and, and it and it relates to the bigger world. And you know, I think people will identify with you even if they are not as uh, prolific and <laughs> well traveled as you um i wanted to ask you uh, in your experience of uh all the ten thousand birds in the world what is the shittest bird in the world out of all the ten thousand? which one is the worst one you know what i get asked what the best bird is i don't think I've yeah, ever... that's why yeah, I didn't want to ask that. yeah yeah okay um which one do you think? I you know. I wish I'd never seen. There must be one that just isn't as good as the others. I think that you don't enjoy seeing. Probably, I feel like there are definitely a lot of birds that I've had like very shit views of after like hours of looking, <laughs> and it's like, was that worth the last like seven hours of my life taking that out? <laughs> um, I think I don't know. I feel like my my instinct is to go for like some of the little brown boring birds, but I I actually really love yeah. little brown boring birds, um, which yeah. is why I really like the UK wildlife because we've got a lot of those going on. Um, I don't know. I um. It's not fair, Ma, to make you choose. No, no, no. Choose I, 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 I think, I think. Yeah. Yeah, there are a few wrens. Um, you get you yeah. get a lot of wrens around the world, and they all they all look like wrens. Um, in okay. the 
well, well, you know, the run looks like it's sort of small and specky and brown. Um, and there are a lot of them yeah. and I've spent so many hours of my life looking for all these runs. <laughs> and it's worth it. Like I'll spend more hours doing looking for more. But like, <laughs> I think those are definitely some of the ones where it's like you see them and you're like, okay, cool. Like that. And and how when, when you're spotting stuff, because I used to do, I my hobby used to be, um, spotting uh, all the UK number plates in advancing numerical order <laughs> from one to nine hundred ninety nine. They changed. This is they changed, this is before you were born. Uh, and uh, uh, sometimes I thought I'd seen like a six five four, and then I go, but was it definitely, or was there something? How how sure do you have to be, and how sure can you be that you've spotted the bird that you think you've spotted when so many of them are pretty similar? uh you see but i i'd probably get a bit crucified by certain birders for even suggesting that these birds are similar like no <laughs> I, I think it is hard sometimes like i do talk a bit in the book about having like bird guides with us sometimes and stuff like that and they are like yeah. truly magical people because they'll hear like half a second of a song and they'll be like oh of course that was so and so let's go look for it in the jungle and it's like how <laughs> um so there's a lot of that going on as well, which I think definitely is needed because oh, like you get you get all sorts of things like there are birds that pretend to be other birds and like mimic their calls. There are birds that are like you can only tell apart by their call or like a slight marking on the third feather of their wing. You know, like it, it, it does all get very, <laughs> yeah. very detailed. And so you sort of it, I think in situations like that, it's quite nice to have an expert with you. Um, which is which is not us in that scenario. Um, and do you think this is gonna is it gonna be something you you that is lifelong? Do you think there's any chance of you sort of getting into your twenties and thinking, you know, I'm not doing this anymore? Is this is there are there still birds that you're desperate to see that you haven't seen? Oh God, I th- I think. But I guess to answer the first half, like I think I probably definitely will be birding forever. And I think like. Again, just because I started doing it so young, it would be so weird to not be birding. But also, like, bird watching isn't just, like, flying to various jungles to see various birds. Like, I drive my mates at uni a bit nuts sometimes because they'll sort of be walking with me or, like, sat with me somewhere. And I'll just sort of be looking off to the side and they'll know that I'm not I'm not listening anymore. I'm looking at whatever's just flown past. Um, so I think I, I, in some shape or form, I will always be birding. But I think weirdly, I don't have a big target bird at the moment in that when I was about eight, like I decided the bird I wanted to see most in the world was this bird called a harpy eagle. It's like, it's, it's such a cool bird. It's like, it's the biggest um, eagle in the world. It's got these, it, it sort of lives in the Amazon. It's got these massive talons because it hunts by grabbing monkeys off the top of trees. Like I just thought it was so cool and just completely failed to see one um, in Ecuador. And I spent the next nine years, I didn't see one until I was 17 and it was so worth it like it's such a beautiful bird it's actually the bird the bird that's on the front cover of bird girls i think it, if i had to pick it is my favorite bird in the world um 
Yeah. But I think I just spent so many years trying to see one that now I'm just a bit like, I feel like nothing could live up to sort of the, the quest that was the Harpy Eagle. I'm, sh- I'm sure something will come about eventually, but I feel like the closest I've got right now is like, I'm very, I talk a lot in the book, very obsessed with hummingbirds. Like they're probably my favorite type yeah, of bird. And yeah. a lot of them, the, the smallest species of um, hummingbird is the bee hummingbird. It is the, the size of a bee. Um, so I feel like that, if I had to pick sort of the next thing that I really want to go track down, um, it's probably, yeah, the hummingbird. Yeah. Fantastic. Well, look, it's um, it's a really trivial book. You've got a quote from Margaret Atwood on the front, which is a pretty impressive uh, thing to have happened. She's my She's my favourite uh, living author, I would say, Margaret Atwood. So well done on impressing her. <laughs> Thank you. That um, was a very crazy moment <laughs> when lo- she sent that to me. A lovely quote. Uh, she does seem very engaged in the world. And uh, mm-hmm. so it is It is great that she's uh, aware of yeah. you. She's actually a very um, big bird watcher, uh, by the way. I feel like I should put she? that out there. Oh, she's she? very into her birds. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> Well, this book, I was, you know, it has made me look and I was, there was some big, but, you know, I can't identify birds, but as I was driving uh, back from dropping my kids off at school today, there was a, there was a very large bird of prey uh, going, flying over the field next to me, which uh, there were two of them actually. And I looked at them and then I thought I'm going to crash the car. And them, so <laughs> to be stop, fair, I, I have a lot of moments like that, I'm not lying. <laughs> so, but it may, you know, it is interesting and it is interesting to f- focus in on nature. Uh, and so, th- th- honestly, uh, this book is a terrific read. It's called Bird Girl. Uh, it, are there, uh, by Maya Rose Craig, do check it out. Uh, also audio book, but you don't get the nice pictures in the audio book. <laughs> there are some nice pictures. Um, are there any books that you're reading or that you've read that you would like to recommend to our listeners by other authors? Um, yeah, I actually really, I see what's on my bookcase right now. Um, oh, I'm actually currently reading Train Spotting, which I feel like is sort of very okay. different tonally from, from my book, <laughs> but it is a good book. Um, this is a good book. I guess if anyone's interested in any other sort of stories to do with nature that aren't just sort of traditional nature writing, look at that beautiful thing over there, like, um, the book diary of a young naturalist which came out a few years ago did very very well by Derek um, McNulty um is very very good um and it's okay. sort of very personal it talks a lot about um him struggling with Asperger's and also being very obsessed with birds and nature and stuff it's a really nice story and he's also currently at Cambridge with me actually he's a really nice lad so good book oh terrific Good. Well, I think we're going to hear more from you in the future, my Rose. Uh, I'm incredibly impressed by everything you've achieved so far. And uh, I hope you're enjoying yourself at university and having a great time. Uh, thank you very much for coming on the podcast. And uh, thank you also to Chris Evans. Not that one for producing. Although he's, he's offline at the moment, so he's, he's disappeared offline. So he, might, he might have died. <laughs> thank, thank you very much. Thanks. For- no, thank you so much for having me. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. 
What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365 day returns. Thanks for listening. RichardHerring.com slash gigs. GoFasterStripe.com for all my books, downloads, all that sort of shizzle. Oh, yeah, I know all the cool words. And um, would love to see you on the on the Can I Have My Ball Back tour if you can make it. Bye.